Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Uh, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, FM translator, not AM translators, because they don't make them FM translators, but you probably already knew that and don't care. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Thursday edition of The Michael Duke Show. And uh got to say, a little pleased with myself from yesterday's broadcast. It was... Uh, uh, it was fun and entertaining. It's been quite a while since we've done a uh, a head-to-head debate um, on the program, and uh, I, I was trying to think back. It's it's it must have been, gosh, it must have been close to 50, a dozen years, fifteen years, maybe, um, since we've had a head-to-head debate on the program. And of course, uh, for those of you on radio, it didn't really matter. But uh, this is the first time we were able to actually broadcast it. Uh, on Facebook and YouTube as well, with all the video and uh, uh, timers up and everything, it was. I was pretty pretty happy with that. It worked out really well. I, I I'd love to do some more head to head debates because I think it becomes very clear when you get candidates side by side like that um, <clears throat> as to which uh, candidate you should be uh, choosing. And so uh, was excited to see that. Would love to see. Um. Um, uh, I would love to see some more of that, including the one out here in the, uh, Matsu area between Doug shower, uh, uh, Doug Massey and Mike shower. I would love to see that. Uh, but, um, uh, <clears throat> alas, it's probably not to be as I have not heard back from Doug Massey's campaign at all. So it would be, uh, it would be fun. Uh, but you know, it is what it is today on the program. We're back to solo. We're back to solo candidates. And we're going to talk about uh, more stuff. Oh, there's more stuff than you can shake a fish stick at. That's what's coming up here this morning. Um, uh, David Nelson, representative for House District 18, is going to come in and talk about his reelection bid. And uh, also in our two, Senator Mia Costello will be joining us. And, of course, she is um, uh, running in a, a very contentious race. Uh, for re-election in the newly formed or newly reformed district. Uh, she's now facing uh, off against uh, former Senator Matt Clayman. Um, and that race is uh, <laughs> a little bit nasty. Uh, so anyway, we'll talk about that here this morning as well. Next week, uh, Representative Kevin, Ma- or a uh, uh, candidate for, <laughs> sorry, I'm already, I've already crowned him. He's Representative Candidate for State House Kevin McKinley will be joining us, as well as Reuben McNeil, Delana Johnson, Forrest Wolf, Liz Vasquez. Uh, the following week, uh, Jamie Allard, Chris By, and more. We've still got more. 
Uh, we're going to sneak Mike Shower in there somewhere, probably a week from maybe next week or the week after next. Um, because I, I've been kind of putting it off. I've been kind of putting off Mike having Mike Shower back on the program because I wanted to give Doug Massey the chance to respond or to do something. And unfortunately, the only responding that he's doing is uh, uh, criticizing uh, Must Read Alaska when they post articles about him, apparently. <clears throat> that apparently got his goat. But uh, we'll have to see. We will have to see what happens with that. All right, so before we jump into this with David Nelson here in another, I don't know, nine, ten minutes or so, we get some time for some headlines. We'll talk about that. Uh, maybe we'll take a couple comments from the chat room or something and talk about that. I don't know. But the headlines are here, and we're ready to go. Uh, yes, and we will have, um, we will have, I forgot, Re Representative Kevin McCabe is going to be on the program here probably as well. next, Maybe next week uh, or a week after. Um, before Election Day. Let's just put it that way. It'll, it'll be, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. My calendar is so full at this point. I've never seen my calendar be so full, um, and it's created uh, created a bit of a monster for me. Okay, I, this is how I'm doing it from now on, quite honestly, uh, because it's, it's it's nice. It's nice. Um, all right. <clears throat> so headlines, headlines, news. What else is going on? I mean, we got the the six schools in Anchorage closing, and there is the typical fervor that you'd expect around that. We could talk about that. Uh, the debate happened last night. Um, I thought there were some zingers on uh, on uh, on uh, both sides, um, but I think by this time, if you have not decided who you're electing for governor, <laughs> I mean, okay, uh, you know, I think it's just like okay. Um, uh, oh, this was a story I did want to touch on this uh, simply because um, I feel like I was. Uh, there at the beginning. I feel like I was there at the very beginning. Um, Mike Coons, who um, you many of you have, have heard heard about or heard from, uh, he's been on this program before. He um, was a volunteer uh, and started the uh, Ala uh, Association of Mature American Conservatives, AMAC. Uh, AMAC is a, um, it's the conservative version of AARP, right? Because the AARP is, I mean, if you read their literature and what they put out and the things that they support, they're a very, fairly liberal organization, right? And as I rapidly approach the age of 55 where I would become available to become an AARP member, I was never going to do that simply because... Uh, why would I give them money? Because they support causes that I don't believe in. Anyway, Mike Coons discovered AMAC, um, and he was so impressed with this organization that he um, reached out to AMAC and uh, because he was getting tired of receiving all the crappy stuff from AARP. And since there was no chapters in Alaska at the time, he got a hold of AMAC and he volunteered to get the organization set up here in the state of Alaska, which he did. Uh, big, big um, organization in the Matsu. Uh, he worked on down in the Kenai. He worked up in Fairbanks. He did all these other things around the state, and he created a pretty, a pretty going concern here in the state of Alaska. 
Well, apparently, AMAC uh, fired him. I mean, he's a volunteer, so it's they can't. But they dismissed him. He was the guy that started it, and they dismissed him. Um, now they don't endorse candidates, but uh, but the AMAC is active in political issues and other things. Uh, according to Must Read Alaska, Coons became cross-threaded with a national organization this year when his chapter planned to endorse ballot measure won the Constitutional Convention. National leaders fired him over that, Coons said, in a phone call he received while he was out hunting. So, okay, okay. Um, yeah, so they, you know, this all went on. And the Matsu chapter, by the way, is the largest chapter in the state. It has something like 400 members or something. And so they had a meeting on Saturday. And um, Coons made a motion to dissolve the chapter of AMAC in the Matsu. And they voted to dissolve it. I mean, they just, they're like, okay. Now, what I found ironic was... Um, they said, after the motion to dissolve the chapter and after a robust discussion for an hour, the group voted overwhelmingly to do, uh, to, to do so, even though headquarters in Florida had told the group it was not permitted to dissolve. Oh, 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 screw you. Oh, oh, screw you. We voluntarily organized, and now you're saying you're not permitted to dissolve. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mike Coons has been very active, um, and I admired him. He uh, he contacted the program when he initially reached out, and in fact, we interviewed him on the show uh, right when he got started, uh, trying to help him drum up some support for AMAC in Alaska. And I find it a little, uh, uh, I find I find this a little uh, crazy and creepy. I mean, first of all, that they would fire him, but second of all, that they would tell you that you can't dissolve. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Um. So that was one of the stories that I wanted to talk about today, and and uh, I I guess my hats off to Mike Coons uh, for doing everything that he did and and all that other stuff. Um, the, many of you don't care about this story because it's going on in Anchorage, but I just want to say that it's a lot of the similar things that are happening around the state. And that, of course, is being the talk about the budget deficit shortfall for the school districts in Anchorage, 68 million, just a mere 68 million in the city of uh, and the municipality of Anchorage. Um, but I did want to, there, there's a couple little points in here. First of all, they're closing They're well, they're deciding, they're talking about, they're starting the conversation about closing six schools. Right. Which um, the, the the reaction, well, you know, people, uh, the outrage, the the the, the, the angst, the, 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 the OK, I mean, this is what happens when you don't have enough money. I'm just pointing that out. You can't have everything, people. But what I found interesting about this article is that there were some hard truths that were laid out in this article from KTUU. Uh, talking about the superintendent, Jarrett Bryant, who comes in and he's, you know, talking about we're starting the discussion and here are the schools that we're suggesting and we need to talk about it. This is an incredibly emotional and painful topic to hear. Oh, it puts an, an immense strain on the community. 
So does immense taxes. That also puts a strain on the community. But I get you. A couple things, a couple hard truths. First of all, Bryant said that the influx of federal COVID-19 funding gave the district a false sense of security. But they've admitted in past articles that this has been a problem that's been brewing for the past five or six years. But that COVID money gave them a false sense of security. Here's the deeper thing, though. Um, Bryant noted that the number of kindergartners enrolled in Anchorage schools has declined by 20% over the last five years. He also noted a 20% decrease in the total newborns in Anchorage. He said the number of students enrolled in Anchorage schools will continue on a steep and steady decline. I would love to see a, a, a graph and a chart of the decrease of school enrollment, 20% over the last five years of kindergartners is what he's saying. I would love to see the actual increase with inflation. And I'm not just talking about the BSA. I'm talking about all school expenditures over the last five years, because I guarantee you it looks like a greater than less than thing where the school enrollment continues to decline and the expenditures continue to go up and ask for more. They're now serving 20% less in just the kindergarten alone. I mean, the overall school enrollment has dropped, but the bigger number there is the decrease in the number of total newborns in the Anchorage area because we're facing a declining <clears throat> birth rate in the United States overall. Uh, we, are, we are declining as a nation on the birth rate side. Population growth is going to get some of us because you're not putting more, more people into the system, so to speak. So I found that little tidbit interesting. Um, the the other the other thing that was the course the the obligatory statement from the superintendent was the reality is our schools are being underfunded and it was never addressed by our state government. What? The second reality is that our district has been given insufficient and unstable funding from the state of Alaska for years, and it's hurting our schools. Even if our enrollment had not declined, a dollar does not stretch as far as 2022 as it did in 2017. That's true for everyone, I guess. But if you've got fewer students, you'd still you just can't make this stuff up, people. You cannot make this stuff up. This is what they're all about. And you can see the continuing message of... But the schools, the schools, they need all the help. You, you can't... Why do you hate children? Why? Why do you hate children? Um, <clears throat> I don't. They're delicious. With barbecue sauce. Now, I mean, I, what do you want me to say? Of course I love children. But I also want everyone to be fiscally responsible. I mean, that is that too much to ask? Really? All right, David Nelson's up next. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Is that? Common sense.
Sunset. Regularly heard on American Radio. Okay, uh, in the break, ready to go, doing our thing. I see David Nelson is in the uh, green room, uh, ready to be brought on board the program. And we're going to talk with him here in just a hot second. I can see him down there. Um, I'm just going back. Uh, Donna corrected me. It's age 50 for the, I mean, I could join AARP now. Well, geez, why didn't I do that? I mean, man, I should have done that at 50. Why, why wait five years to give him the finger? I could give him the finger right now. Blurred out, blurred out. Blurred out. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Oh, more money in education. Everybody district voting for Mike shower. We don't need to hear from Massey to know what we want to keep shower. Uh, mm, let's go. What? Uh, let's, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm reading Harold's comment here. I can't even repeat it on the radio. Uh, let's go ape poop on social media about Doug Massey looking to strip down the PFD to $250 because that is what Massey is all about. I'm sure it probably is. It's probably another reason why he doesn't want to appear on the program, uh, because those are the kind of questions that I would like to ask. Uh, thank you, Donna on the uh, heads up though, on the 50, uh, thing. Um, if it pleases the crown, we would like to dissolve and go about our humble life. I know, Brian, when I read that, I was just like, oh, I will give you the finger so hard right now. You can't dissolve. Wait, we voluntarily came together and now you're saying, no, you filthy peasants, you're locked in place and you will not move until we say you can. Uh, no, sorry. Um... Uh, what else we got here? Um, yes, it's, it's a huge ask. It requires courage. Uh, okay. If enrollment is going down, should the cost be going down as well? E.g. less need for the teachers. That is how every other industry works. Why not school? Too much infrastructure? No, the problem is, Kevin, is that they can't fire anybody. So the costs continue to increase. And then they need more administration and overhead to take care of the ever-expanding costs. And thus, thus is born the justification for while we have decreasing enrollment, we have increasing costs. That's just the way it is. Have a nice day. Um, all right, David Nelson, <clears throat> I've, I've bloviated enough. Let's get see if we get him into the, uh, into the broadcast here and make sure that uh, everything's working, microphones and, uh, and uh, all, everything. Good morning, sir. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate that. I'm uh, just making sure we got everything good here. Uh, I'm adjusting your volume just a tad bit. You ready to uh, dive into all these uh, all this bad stuff here and uh, and get uh, and get everything squared away? I'd be del delighted to. Okay, good, good. Uh, ironically enough, I didn't get to it this morning, but uh, you saw that there was a big article in the ADN this morning about the race in your district. Did you see that? No, I did not. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a it's a battle. You're the David versus the Goliaths, the two Democrats. We're going to duke it out and rank they're going to kumbaya and rank each other. And uh yeah, it it should be an interesting uh definitely should be an interesting race. I'm ready to uh, I'm ready to talk to you about it, but yeah, so as long as you're ready to go, we are uh, we're all ready to go. Perfect. Let's go for it. Okay. All right. Good. I'm going to put you back in the green room for just a second here while I get things ready. We are 
Oh, just over 60 seconds out. Um, and yeah, if you got a little bit of a, I was, I was going to just say that, uh, I wasn't going to say it like Harold said it in the chat room, but if you got a little bit more of a light source or a little bit more light in the room, that would be good too. Cause it's a little dark on my end. So just FYI. All right. We're going to dive into this here. Get ready to go. The Michael Duke show, uh, like, and share like, and follow share, just share it. I don't care. Don't do any of the other stuff. Don't follow. Don't do anything. Just, but at least share the show. And you could share it from any of the platforms, any of the platforms you want Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. You could just hit the share button or share the URL or do whatever. Just, you know, don't, you don't even have to bother with all the other stuff. But at least share it out there. Get more people involved in it. All right. Um, you ready to go? Let's, uh, let's do this thing. Um, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. I got eight seconds. I don't know what to talk about, so I'm just going to talk about my favorite song, which is coming up right now. Let's get it on. Here we go. Let's do it. Okay, uh, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska. Uh, radio stations, FM translators, on the internet, yeah, we're everywhere. We're omnipresent. It is the new media empire. No, it's not. It's just me. Um, all right, we're going to uh, jump into it now, get into our candidates debate. Today, our first guest of the show is David Nelson, candidate for House District uh, it's 18. Okay. I almost, almost said the old one. It's 18. Like I said, it takes me 10 years to get used to the house names and then they change them. Uh, so David Nelson joins us this morning to discuss his candidacy and we welcome him to the program. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Well, you know, it's a beautiful morning and I'm uh, excited to be on the show. Well, I appreciate you coming on board and uh, joining us uh, this morning. So I guess, David, first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about you, who you are, where you are, where you come from. For folks who may have never heard for, uh, about you, uh, you know, what what does District 18 cover? Who might be listening that might be in your district? Give us a little bit of a rundown there. Yeah, perfect. So uh, thank you, first off, for having me on the show. You know, it's great to be here. Two years ago, I remember calling in uh, a lot, and uh, you were always such a great host. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is David Nelson. I'm running for a state house out in District 18, which, uh, with the new lines, it's a, a north of uh, Fifth Avenue downtown, all of Government Hill, all of Jay Bear, and then a little slice of uh, Muldoon out in East Anchorage. That's interesting. Uh, you know, that was one of the things that I found most interesting is that they included in the redistricting, they grouped all of Government Hill into the district, and then they cut out a big chunk of Muldoon. So you used to represent more of that area. Um, and, it, and it's almost like the, and of course, all of Government Hill is more moderate to it's more blue than it than than the district the district is definitely the balancing is kind of changing on this you only beat your uh, opponent in the last go round by what like 90 95 votes or something uh so it was a pretty close race uh and now you're facing off against two candidates we've already had uh 
We've had Cliff Grow on. Lynn Frank never responded to us, so we've already had Cliff Grow on. But so you're facing off against uh, two of these candidates, and now your district is a little bluer and everything else. Um, it, it, it's got to be a, an interesting thing to deal with. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know who you are, where you came from, uh, and what you bring to the table here for uh, for folks who might want to vote for you. Yeah, I mean it was definitely interesting. Uh, district 15, the the area I currently represent is uh, uh all of uh, uh or uh northeast muldoon and then uh the air force side of jay bear and uh with the redistricting it kind of got moved around so i have something like 13 percent of my old district uh so you know i kind of feel honored uh i kind of got put into a a little bit of an area just the block south of me is a brand new district but you know i'm i'm running with it and i'm glad uh the entirety of jay bear is now a a, a complete district right um yeah. Um, so your position, what what made you run originally? I mean, I remember we've had this conversation before, but <clears throat> it's been quite a while since you've been on the program. So let's talk for a minute about why you decided to run for state house to begin with. Um, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of uh, turmoil in your district over some of the things that were happening at the time. Uh, give us, uh, you know, I think you if I remember, didn't you just kind of run on a lark to begin with and then kind of the wheels fell off the bus for the previous candidate? No, so it was uh, it was over two years ago. Um, you know, I was living out here in East Anchorage, um, and my girlfriend, who also lives in the district, was jogging down Boundary Avenue right next to Centennial Park, and uh, she was doing that to train for you know a five k. And while she was jogging down there, uh, a homeless individual jumps out of the forested area and tries to talk to her, and uh, proceeds to chase her down the street. And luckily, a taxi cab was driving nearby and uh, let her jump in and protect her for a while. But she got so shaken up by the incident. Uh, and so we're like, OK, hey, we're going to go to the police. Uh, we're going to uh, see what we can do. It should be an open and shut case. You know, we know who, what, when, where. You know, this shouldn't be happening out in uh, uh, Anchorage. And we went to the police. They kind of just told us to go pound sand. There wasn't much that they could do. Uh, so I got really ticked off and I didn't want to do what most of my generation does, which is just post on Facebook or Twitter and expect change to happen from there. So I right, said, OK, right. hey, I'm going to put my name in the hat uh, and I'm going to go talk to neighbors and try to change something from there. And, you know, it was uh, I was expecting to get two votes, uh, but going out there and talking to people and uh, running against uh, Representative Ledoux at the time, uh, you know, got a lot of steam behind me and ended up winning. Uh, in August and in November. Yeah, no, it's a definitely an interesting. Now, with your district being totally different, this is going to be a different fight. But let's talk about where uh, you know what Representative David Nelson stands for. I'm assuming you've walked the new district and talked to the new people and talked to your new constituency and everything else. So, what are the constituents concerned about? I mean, you know, obviously crime. You just talked about crime is probably a big one. Uh, the PFD, the economy, the size and scope of government, ranked choice voting, inflation. What are what are the big topics that are you're you're finding your constituents are concerned about? Yeah, so crime is definitely up there. The PFD uh, taxes is something that uh, people are are fearful of, especially out in East Anchorage and Government Hill. You know, you look at the price of gas over here in East Anchorage; it can get as high as a. Uh, uh, 550. Uh, you know, you go out to Costco, it might be a little bit cheaper than that. Uh, but you know, working everyday families not necessarily can afford a, a, an income tax or a sales tax added on top of that. 
And then when you get out to uh, the military base, you know, talking to uh, soldiers and their families out there, you know, there's a uh, uh, military centric uh, problems that they have out there. Something as as like uh, um, spousal reciprocity. So, you know, having a spouse in the military, you come up here from the lower 48. It's a lot harder for someone to uh, take their license like a nursing license or architecture license to come up here even for a couple of years and, and start working. Uh, and so there, there's a, there's a lot of fears that uh, soldiers and their spouses have when they're, uh, you know, PCSing to different parts of, uh, uh, of their time. Right. Exactly. Um, the, Oh, sorry. I was just, uh, I was just thinking about, are, are, are we going to see a little bit more involvement from uh, Jay bear? Do you think in this go around? I mean, we've seen kind of an increase in aptitude from a lot of people. A lot of the districts seem to be more motivated in everything else. Historically, military bases have not been a great source for local votes. I don't know if it's because the people who live there feel like they're kind of divorced from the rest of the population or not, but you don't always see a lot of, uh, a lot of interaction. Are people more motivated on the base right now that you think to, uh, to participate in what's going on locally? I think they are, you know, it's difficult, uh, just with some of the federal regulations, you can't necessarily go, uh, door knocking or have campaign events out on post. Uh, so it's difficult for campaigns to get out there and to, really motivate a lot of people uh, to, to get excited about getting out and voting. But I think uh, my campaign's done a really good job at engaging um, through the ways that we can uh, soldiers and their spouses on post. And I think we're going to see a, a, a good uptick of uh, voter participation out on J-Bear. Yeah. You said that they didn't have an appetite for taxes. Uh, and it, does that mean on top of the tax that they're already paying on their PFD? I mean, what's the, re what's the reaction on the PFD? I mean, you, you say they talk about it. Are they, are, are most of your constituents looking for the full statutory PFD or are they looking for some kind of compromise? No, I mean, you look at um, some of the different areas, especially out here in uh, Muldoon, uh, you can go to one of the mobile home parks or some of the condos uh, off of Muldoon and you talk to some people uh, and you say, hey, what are, what's your thoughts on the PFD? You know, where where are you kind of looking at? Uh, and, you know, they're they want to uh, put the PFD and they want to stop using it as a political football that, you know, takes all the air out of the room and actually you know, stops us from accomplishing anything long-term or long-lasting. But you look at someone uh, who's, you know, getting by uh, and you try to say, hey, you know, let, let's, uh, what's your thoughts on the PFD? And when someone says, well, you know, it, it's something that I use to get through the year. I don't use it for a vacation fund or, you know, <laughs> to put a down payment on a snow machine. I, I use it, you know, $3,200. That's three rent payments I could use right there. Right, right. No, I mean, I think that that's, uh, you know, the, the this idea that somehow the people are just taking their PFD and, you know, trips to Hawaii, big screen TVs, hookers and blow, whatever it is that they're using it on, uh, you know, that seems to be, first and foremost, it's their money. So I guess we'll talk about your position on the PFD. Is the PFD the people's money or is it government money in your in your mind? It's definitely the people's money. I mean, that's where it was uh, started off from, uh, and, and that's where it, it continues to be. You have now spent a couple of years in the legislature and uh, have kind of seen the dysfunction. Uh, I mean, you were just talking about the same, I mean, some of the same things that I've said, the political football, you know, they're batting it back and forth across the net, sucking up all the oxygen in the room. I think that there is a cadre in the legislature 
uh, especially those who have been kind of the good old boys club, the leadership, people who've been there for years and years and years, who don't want to change the fact that the PFDs become the political football because every time, I mean, they go into crisis and they're able to do, they're never, first of all, they're never going to face the issue of we are not, you know, we, we've got a spending problem. Uh, we've got a revenue problem because we have a spending problem. Uh, and they never have to face that. If the PFD is still this wiffle ball that they're batting back and forth across the net, I think that there's people in there of a vested interest in making sure that the PFD issue is not solved. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, when I've been down there, um, you know, down in Juneau for the past couple of years, it was definitely an eye-opening experience to kind of the inside baseball of uh, of Juneau and some of the people that are down there. I mean, you can definitely notice who's down there to actually try to get some things done uh, and, and concerned about the long-term impact of the state. And there's there's a couple of people that are, are more focused on uh, um, their own self-interest or what's going to be good for them come November or whatnot. Uh, and it's it's difficult to accomplish anything um, when you're you know have that mindset. And there's there's good people on both sides that are willing to come together and work and uh, accomplish something. But it's uh, it's hard uh, to to get long term impacts done with uh, uh, some of the people out there. Now you support a full statutory PFD. Am I correct on that? You support following the law as written. Yeah, I mean, I voted multiple times. It was ten times for the full statutory PFD, and you know, voted to get the largest one uh, uh, this time around. And do you believe that, uh, you know, I, I guess the biggest problem we have right now is we've got conflicting, we've got conflicting laws. Uh, ever since 2017, when they put in the SB 26, the POMV law, you know, now we've got a law that basically conflicts with the statutory formula, and yet nobody's willing to take on and fix the statutory formula, one or the other. So there's been a real talk now and a hue and a cry, and several candidates have talked about, well, if we're not going to fix the statutory PFD, the statutory formula, then we should just repeal SB 26 in the POMV law and go back to the way it was working before, before all this mess happened. What are your thoughts on that? Would you be in favor of repealing SB 26 in the POMV law and going back uh, to the way it was before? I think where we first need to start off at um, is having a tough new spending cap on our state constitution. You know, this is kind of one of these deals where, uh, you know, if when oil is up to $110 a barrel, it's tough to uh, uh, to try to have that fiscal uh, uh, conservative fiscal policy, you know, when everyone kind of has their pet projects or wants to spend, uh, you know, a crazy amount. And then when oil dips back down, uh, you know, tightening the belt, we don't really have that much savings uh, to start off with. So I think that's going to be the first kind of focus that this new legislature needs to focus on is putting a tough new spending cap in the state constitution. One of the senators was quoted, who's not returning to the Senate, by the way, one of the senators was quoted as saying, we've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it all uh, because of the $110 a barrel, oil, which again is so excruciatingly short-sighted. I don't even uh, I don't even know where to begin on that, but I, I do want to come back to that here in just a second. David Nelson is our guest candidate, GOP candidate for uh, House District 18, uh, which is uh, one of the newer districts now, been redistricted. We're going to continue our conversations with him here in just a moment. Uh, don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. Don't forget, coming up in Hour 2, Senator Mia Costello will be joining us. And we'll have more conversations about what's happening in the legislature. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based. <laughs> 
Free Thinking Radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, uh, in the break right now, David Nelson continues with us as our guest. Um, David, uh, let's. I, I like to kind of change gears in the commercial break so we don't repeat ourselves for the podcast listeners and people later on. So let's uh, let's shift gears just a little bit. If you can stick with me, um, what are your sure. thought? What are your thoughts after uh, being in the legislature now? For I mean, you, again, you told us why you ran. You decided to do it. You were able to do it and overcome it. You know, that's all great and gravy. Then you went down there. What's your reaction to what things were like? I mean, what your expectations were versus the reality of what happened when you get down there. Give us a little bit of a flavor of of uh, what your thoughts are and how the legislature has operated over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not Mr. Smith goes to Washington, that's for sure. Um, there's, a, like, like I was saying earlier, there's a, a there's a group of people down there that are dedicated public servants on both sides of the aisle that you know uh, uh, want to get things done uh, and and want to see you know how uh, we can make a true impact for a lot of Alaskans. Um, and then there's some people that are a little more concerned about their reelection or kind of climbing that next uh, ring on the ladder. Um, and it's it's tough to try to accomplish things with that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of dysfunction in there for sure. Some of it, I think, again, my feeling is some of it's intentional because out of that confusion, um, certain people can grab the reins and, and steer the bus uh, because of the confusion and the, uh, and the, and the conflict down there. Um, you are facing, uh, of course, ranked choice voting has thrown an interesting curveball into this this year because it's not just you and one other opponent facing off in the in the general election. You now have two Democrats you're facing off against. And, of course, under the ranked choice voting scheme, they could either split the vote amongst themselves, but that doesn't really matter because then in round two, those votes can combine and yada, yada, yada. What are your thoughts on ranked choice voting and how this is all kind of coming together in this specific race? You know, I'm I'm holding my breath on ranked choice voting. Uh, I did have some concerns uh, with it, especially in the special primary where you had some districts with a really high uh, rejection rate on their ballots. Uh, and I, I've only just recently seen some, uh, uh, you know, teaching from the Division of Elections, uh, you know, mailers or, you know, YouTube or Facebook ads teaching people how to properly fill out their ballot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that works out. It, it's pretty easy for people on district 18, you know, you only got to put one person down. That's uh that's David Nelson. Right. It's pretty, pretty easy from your side of the world, for sure. Ranking the red means ranking one person, right? It's the, it's the blue, <laughs> yeah. it's the blue side. That's going to be interesting for sure. As we, uh, as we go through this, what was the most surprising thing? Um, you know, as you look back in the last two years in Juneau and the contentiousness and being part of the minority and watching the majority kind of ramrod stuff through on the house side and, and even the dysfunction in the Senate with what's going on there with the supposed majority caucus, what were some of the what was the most surprising thing uh, that you saw in the last couple of years that kind of I don't know shocked you or opened your eyes you know made you go whoa uh, you know when you saw it what can you think of there 
Uh, well, you know, there's been a couple things, uh, some that I referenced earlier. Uh, there is quite amount of bipartisanship uh, to be done. I mean, I, I had, uh, uh, even as a minority member and as a freshman, I got a couple pieces of legislation passed. Uh, House Bill 125, which is uh, employment preference for military spouses. And that passed overwhelmingly, uh, both in the House uh, and, the, and in the Senate. Uh, we had a resolution passed uh, honoring Hmong veterans. Uh, so there's, there, for as much contention as there is, there's quite amount of uh, bipartisan that still exists out in the legislature. Well, it's surprising. Some of those, some of those bills are less contentious, right? I mean, some of them are like, oh yeah, we can all kumbaya behind this. You know, the Hmong veterans, the the you know supporting military spouses. I mean, that's those are kind of no brainer things. But the second you step the toe out of line into something that's more deeply rooted in fiscal policy or something like that, oh, then things get nasty. Well, you'd be surprised. Even things like uh, having a resolution, I know Representative Rauscher had one uh, that was supporting Anwar. It was one of the very few vote first votes. And you think it would have unanimous support uh, in both houses. But from what I remember, there was a, a couple members of the House that uh, rejected it. So it's, uh, you know, some things you think are uh, are should be pretty simple for, for uh, Alaska to actually get some uh, surprising no votes. Yeah. No, it is uh, it is kind of shocking. All right, David Nelson, uh, hold the line for me for just a second. We're going to rejoin here in just a moment and be ready to get things uh, put together here. Folks, uh, if you do me a favor, uh, share the show. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to follow. I'm not going to ask you to ring the bell on YouTube. I'm not going to ask you to subscribe because you never listen to me anyway. But if you do anything, if you would at least share the show with your social media feeds, uh, and you can share it from YouTube or Facebook or even Twitch. You can share it from any one of those uh, positions. And uh, we'll get more folks involved in the conversation. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, go out there and get it done. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Everybody got so used to hearing the bell yesterday because we were using it for the uh, we were using it for the uh, for the debate. I forgot to reset the timer on that so it wouldn't do that. So anyway, I gotta fix that. Hi guys, how you doing? You guys ready to uh, you guys ready to get this done? We're continuing now with uh, David Nelson, candidate for uh, state house in District 18. Um, and, uh, we continue our discussions with him right now, uh, to, uh, you know, just to see where he stands on the legislative side of things. Uh, David, one of the talking points that seems to have become very, uh, very prevalent, very dominant in the discussion right now is, uh, is the discussion on education and specifically this new talking point that. Well, we've just ignored education. We haven't been funding it, and we've underfunded education, in fact, because we haven't adjusted. The base student allocation's only gone up 5% in the last five years, and inflation is at 17%. And so we really need – we. if you care about the children, you'll spend more on education. Of course, nobody ever talks about BSA being just the base of it, and, of course, all the excess fund funding that goes on top of that. 
What are your thoughts on, and of course, education is the second largest component of our budget, the second largest spend in the in the budget items. So what's your thought uh, currently on education um, and uh, and this this idea that somehow we have been failing to fund it properly? Uh, and what are your thoughts going forward on it? Yeah, I think we made some great inroads with uh, education in the last couple of years uh, in the Alaska legislature. I mean, the Senator Begich uh, from downtown Anchorage got past the Alaska Reads Act, uh, which I think is going to actually uh, improve Alaska education. It, a small BSA increase, but it also looks at kind of a uh, um, a check on uh, the education system in Alaska. And I think that's going to lead to some uh, improvements in the long term. Uh, and then also the forward funding of education, I think, is uh, is going to do an improvement. So. Uh, next year, when we uh, when we come back uh, down to Juneau, we can actually have some really tough conversations uh, without having a, a pressing timeline of sending out uh, pink slips to teachers or, you know, having that kind of threatening uh, uh, clock kind of overtaking us. Now we have a forward funding education so we can actually take a hard look at some of the books we have uh, and funding for K through 12 education and see what ways we can improve and what ways we can uh, uh, look at. Well, I mean, and that's all well and good. But I mean, my question is, I guess my bigger question is, is this simply a funding issue? I mean, look at the scholastic achievements in the state. I mean, we are 48th, 49th, 50th in almost everything, right? I mean, reading, math, science, our graduation rates, three out of four kids graduate, meaning one in four don't graduate. And even those that graduate have got to take remedial courses to be able to get up to speed just to go to college. Um, and so my question is, is um, is 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 the answer just more money or is something fundamentally busted in the system and we need to address that? Should there be metrics, performance metrics and other things to be able to justify these expenditures? I mean, we were just talking about the Anchorage School District and they're saying 20% fewer enrolled in kindergarten plus 20% birth rate drop in Anchorage and yet we need more money to go. I mean, is money the answer or is there something fundamentally flawed in what we're doing? Well, I think, you know, performance metrics are definitely needed, and that was part of the Alaska Reads Act. Uh, and it is definitely showing, I mean, from uh, how bad COVID was, there was some uh, uh, some positive outlooks where parents started to get more involved with their kids' education. Now you're seeing a rise of not only kids going to private school, but also kids being homeschooled, where parents said, hey, you know, I, I think I can do a better job at uh, uh, teaching uh, than what ASD is doing. And so they brought their kids uh, or continue to take their kids uh, out from, you know, COVID and now, you know, having them at a homeschool or a collection of schools. Right. The brick and mortar. I mean, I've always said that that's been the silver, one silver lining that I've seen in, in the COVID situation is that people became educated, that it wasn't that difficult to homeschool your children. The, the, the fear mongering tactics we used to hear were all untrue. And people were like, well, this is actually pretty easy, which brings me to the next question. Should, uh, should school choice be a big issue in the coming session? Should we be talking about vouchers? Should we be talking about a backpack educational funding where the funding follows the student rather than following the school? I mean, should we be giving parents that choice? And if they decide to homeschool their kids or put them in a learning pod or put them in a magnet school or create some kind of new, should should the money be following that? I think so. I, I mean, looking at some of the ways 
the past couple of years that parents have uh, looked at their kids' education. I mean, I think that's where it's going, and we'll see, um, you know, with who's going to be in charge in this new legislature, uh, what kind of priorities they set. Um, the final question before we get to closing thoughts here is on a fiscal plan. Uh, we saw the fiscal policy working group come together, a very disseparate group of people with opposing philosophies and everything else. And yet at the end of the day, they all came together in a unanimous decision on a fiscal plan that they proposed to the legislature, which then was just arbitrarily stuffed into a drawer and really never discussed at all. Um, do you, are you familiar with the fiscal policy working groups plan and do you think it could be used and would you be using it as a roadmap for a fiscal policy in the, uh, coming years here? Yeah, I, I was disappointed with, uh, the leadership, uh, in the house, you know, kind of, as you described, stuffing it in a drawer and kind of forgetting about it. Uh, you know, a lot of Alaskans put their heart and soul, uh, into creating that. Now, I think, you know, it definitely needed to have some hearings and there were some things I liked in there, some things I didn't. Uh, but if we're going to, you know, talk about a long term fiscal plan, I mean, we we have to have something that people at least agree on and we know is going to pass if it moves on through, not just some uh, great ideologue uh, idea that's never going to go anywhere in the House or the Senate. Uh, so, you know, I, I if I were to get back in, you know, I think that's a that's a great roadmap to start off at uh and i think that would is what we're going to be uh using to to solve some of these problems that alaskans are facing and that have plagued uh, uh, the legislature in the past couple of years um i guess i lied i have one more question before we go to final thoughts here um the uh you know, the the code, the, the, uh, you sound like a politician. I know it was one of those things. Well, you, you, you answer questions quickly, quicker than I expected. And so I still have a, a minute or two here. Um, we come back to the idea of majorities, minorities, the organization. I mean, organization in the legislature has been a hot mess the last two years, right? I mean, the house had a hard time, uh, with Gary Knopp and all that kind of stuff. And then even after that in the next session, and then we, you were back in the minority again, it took the Senate a month to organize and everything else. What's your position on organization? Are you sticking, you have stuck with the minority. Are you going to continue to stick with a minority or would you entertain the idea of uh, entering into a, because you've talked a lot about bipartisanship. Is there, you know, entering into a coalition uh, majority in the House? What, what, what say you? I mean, at, at this point, I'm, I'm just focused on my race. I don't know what the legislature is going to look like. Uh, so I, I can't necessarily say, uh, you know, right now what that's going to be. Uh, but philosophically, I mean, are you uh, are you opposed to that or would you I mean, would you rather stick with your guns with the Republican colleagues or are you, you know, again, if if something happened and reached across the aisle, would you even entertain that? Um, you know, I, it would have to be certain parameters, but I, I kind of look at my Republican colleagues uh, as ones that are serious uh, about solving Alaska's issues. I, I mean, they're the ones that, you know, we held pretty strong on getting this bipartisan uh, fiscal policy working group, uh, right. like you were talking about earlier. And I think, you know, if you're looking at people who are serious about accomplishing uh, uh, long term solutions for the state, I think that's going to be one. That I uh, prioritize. David Nelson's our guest candidate for District 18 in the State House. Uh, David, we got about a minute and a half here. I'm going to give you just closing thoughts, your elevator pitch, why people should vote for you, where they find out about you. Go ahead. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. So I'm David Nelson. I'm running for State House out here in District 18, uh, and I would be honored to have your vote. You know, I, I'm running on three things. You know, putting a, a toughness 
spending cap in the state constitution, saying no to reckless new tax schemes, and then constitutionalizing the PFD. Uh, and I'm a dedicated uh, public servant, and I've been here for two years, and I, and I hope to earn your vote to continue to uh, uh, serve uh, in the legislature. Uh, if you live out in House District 18, I've probably uh, already talked to you or knocked on your door. But if you'd like to learn more about me, you can go to my website, nelsonforalaska.com. Uh, and there's contact information or on my Facebook page, Nelson for Alaska. Uh, and I'd be delighted to talk to you more about it. David Nelson, our guest, again, Republican candidate for House District 18, the new district as it's redrawn. Uh, we're going to continue uh, in just a moment. David, thanks. Hold the line for just a second. Coming up in hour two, Senator Mia Costello joins us. as She's in the green room. We're ready to go. Uh, we'll have more. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. All right, uh, David, I always like to give candidates one more bite at the apple uh, when we finish up and go into the commercial break, just in case there was something that I didn't catch, a topic that you that I didn't hit, uh, any final thoughts. This is your... This is your final bite here. Uh, give you a couple minutes here. Anything else that you wanted to add or uh, maybe a topic we didn't get to, now's your time to uh, sound off about it. Well, you did uh, uh, touch on it a little bit. Um, you know, for the first time in a long time, Jay Bear is finally under one house district. Uh, and there's a lot of soldiers out here. And I know that listen to your show, uh, that's extremely important that they get out to vote. Uh, you know, traditionally, uh soldiers and their spouses and family members that live out on jay bear only come out to vote on uh, general elections and presidential years but uh we're, we're starting to see an upswing of voter participation out there so i hope that uh everyone listening you know uh you know is voting uh out on jay bear and everyone across alaska as well um but you kind of want to look for someone as a member of the armed forces that's focused on uh fighting for the people uh, you know, who are going to be looking after yourself or your best interest. Well, I appreciate that. And I should have mentioned earlier on, you were just recently named uh, one of the top 20 under 40 in the nation as far as leadership roles, right? Am I right on that? There's only 20 people in the United States and you were named one of the top 20 in the United States under 40 in leadership roles. So you're obviously doing something right, I guess, right? Yeah, the Council of State Government named me one of their uh, top 20 under 40. And then uh, Harvard's uh, Kennedy School of Government, their Institute of Politics, named me uh, one of their emerging leaders. Uh, so, Well, good. I guess keep, the, keep it up. Keep the ball rolling. We wish you the best of luck. And uh, we hope, as you do, that the, uh, that the uh, military personnel stuff are paying attention and, uh, and hopefully coming out to support uh, candidates uh, like you out there. David Nelson. Again, House District 18, thank you for coming on board the program this morning and joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for so much for having me. All right. Thanks uh, for coming on board. Okay. Uh, we're going to put, put David back. He can uh, he can leave at his, uh, his convenience here. Uh, we're looking at uh, just a couple minutes out. I got Mia Costello. I can see her in the green room. I'm going to be with her here in just a hot second. We'll test her audio and everything else to make sure. Uh, I just want to go back to the chat room real quick to see what you guys have been talking about uh, in case I haven't seen anything. Good morning, Moret. Thank you for calling in or listening in on YouTube. Um, I see that uh, um, uh, I see Kevin McCabe. Uh, there's a lot of back. And, you guys in Herald, don't feed the trolls, okay? You guys know, don't feed the trolls, right? They grow. That's how they grow. 
Uh, <laughs> I love, I love, I love, I just love that. Uh, okay. Uh, it looks like we've got everything else. Oh, by the way, and I saw, uh, I think it was uh, Kevin McCabe that mentioned it earlier, said he was looking forward to learning a lot from Donna today. Uh, I know Michael Chambers has got that government school thing that they're doing today. And unfortunately, I'm traveling today because I was going, they wanted me to come in and they wanted me to emcee it um, and uh, and be there with Donna this morning. And unfortunately, I'm traveling to Fairbanks today after the show. And so I'm not going to be able to be there. But Donna Ardwin is going to be teaching uh, today. I think it's just today or maybe it's today and tomorrow. Somebody can link me in the chat room and tell me there. Uh, she's going to be teaching people um, uh, in, uh, in I think, the Matsu today. It's, it should be amazing, and I would have loved to have uh, been able to be there. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to happen, but we'll see, uh, we'll see what – We'll see what goes on. Somebody in the chat room can, uh, Kevin or whoever can drop me the information, or even Donna herself. Donna, I know I saw her earlier in the chat room this morning. Um, and uh, it's it, it should be fun. We've had, I love having Donna on the program, and we love the fact that here's a woman who got snubbed by the state of Alaska and is still engaged. I love that. All right. Um, Mia Costello is back in the chat room here. So let's uh, go over here and test the old connections to make sure everything is working right and properly. So this is the first time she's joining us on this new format. Good morning, Senator. How are you? Great. How are you doing this morning, Mike? I am doing good. Long time no see or hear. No. <laughs> so it's good to good to have you back on the program. We appreciate you coming on board. Um, we uh, you all you all ready for this? We're gonna duke it out here. We're gonna fight. Okay. No, we're gonna no. Okay. We're not gonna fight. I'm lying. We're not gonna fight. Uh, yep. We're all ready to go, and uh, we're gonna talk about the race. And uh, you sound good. You look good. We're ready to get things going on. So uh, uh, be ready. And uh, I know everybody's so nervous about it's a video. It's a, you think everybody after COVID would be used to the whole Zoom thing now at this point, right? right. You'd think they'd all just be all ready to do it. But um, no, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be jumping back to you here in just a hot second. So I'm gonna drop you back into the green room. And, uh, uh, and yeah, I, some people, it's like Mike Shower. He's like, I can't do that in the morning. Uh, but everybody else has been pretty good. Mike Shower is the only knuckle dragging troglodyte out there right now. He's the only one that can't get things going in the morning. Well, him and Chris Story. Chris Story's like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, all right. Uh, Donna is in the chat room and she says, Today, one day, Shelly Hughes will be there, David Boyle, Jake Libby from The Watchman. And, uh, and more, it's all going on today. So that, uh, that should be good. The Michael put up your Duke show. That sounds a little, that just sounds a little conflictual. Conflictual is not actually a word, but confrontational is the word, but we're going to use conflictual. You want to fight? We'll fight, put up your Dukes. Um, will it be streamed? Tawny asks the, that's the Donna uh, Ardwin, uh, Michael Chambers thing is, will it be streamed? I don't know. It'll be at Evangelos. Stop by for a cup of coffee. Um, I'm leaving town in uh, an hour and 20 minutes, so I don't know when you guys get started, but uh, we'll we'll have to see. All right. It's conflictionary. Is that really a word? I It might be. Joshua Walton's much smarter than I am, so it could possibly be a word. I don't care. This is like uh, this is like whose line is it anyway? Where the rules are made up and the points don't count. I will make up anything I want. That's why my name is on the show. Let's get things going. You ready to do it? The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. 
Liberty-based Free Thinking Radio. Hour two dead ahead. Senator Mia Costello, our guest. Let's do this thing. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeshow.com, where you'll pick up the audio-only live stream, links to all of our social media feeds where we simulcast the show, including Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and, of course, the podcast, which you can find on Google, Apple, iTunes, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, and, of course, my favorite, Spotify. Go out there and do it right now. Subscribe. Just do it because, you know, it's the only time you can tell me what to do. You can fast forward me. You can pause me. You could play me at one and a half times speed. Somebody said, that's how I listen to your show. One and a half times speeds all the time. So you're talking like this all the time. Whatever you want to do. It's the only time you can tell me what to do is when you listen on the podcast. Uh, all right. Hour two of the big radio show today. We are continuing with candidate interviews. We just finished up with David Nelson from House District 18, which you can listen to on the podcast if you missed it. Right now, we're going to jump into it. On the Senate side, with a candidate that we haven't talked to in quite a while, uh, candidate for the new Senate District M, Mia Costello, joins us on the program today. We're going to talk about all things legislative. Uh, she joins us uh, right now. Good morning, Mia. How are you? Good morning, Michael. How are you doing today? You know, I'm obviously had my coffee and I'm ready to go. I'm finer than frog hair, split four ways. Yep. Uh, we're ready. I've got oh, mine. <laughs> that's a big cup, too. That's a big a special mug. Maybe uh, I'll send you one. Oh, yeah. See, you got two mugs. I know. I mean, I, I love that. It's you, Sometimes it's a two-fisted morning. That's what happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, all right, Mia. Well, it's been a while since we've had a chance to chat and catch up. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about this morning. But for those who may not know, who Mia Costello, well, first and foremost, I guess we should talk about the new district so people know that you might be their new potential candidate. Let's talk about the new District M. Give us a little bit of a rundown on it, where it is, who it encompasses, and uh, you know what parts of what district, uh, and then we'll get a little bit into your history. Okay, sounds good, Michael. Well, um, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on your show and, and your listeners. It's always great um, to join you in the morning. And I know you're Michael and I'm Mia, but it's actually Senate District H. Oh, that it's, is new. it's see, okay. The I, Senate it's, District H. Um, it's Turnigan, Sand Lake, Jewel Lake, uh, parts of Spinard, and we've added Bayshore. Um, 88% of the district is the same as I currently represent, and the new area goes south of Campbell Lake um, to grab Bayshore. So that's the area that I represent, that I'll, and I'm running for. 
Okay, good. I mean, look, I can only apologize so many times to people because I, it takes me 10 years to learn where all the districts are, and then they flip them every time. And I, I for the next year, I'm confused totally. So Senate District, it's at least right in the description of the video this morning. It's Senate District H. Um, all right. So Mia Costello, a little bit of your background, who you are, where you are, where you came from, um, and what you've been doing for the folks, the 88% of folks that are in your district now. Give us a little bit of background here. Okay. Well, um, just, you know, to, to dovetail on what we talked about the district, if you land at the Anchorage International Airport, either side of the airplane, if you look out, um, it's, it's the district that I represent. And I was born and raised in the district, uh, went to the public schools here in Anchorage um, and went off to college. And then I came back because I wanted to make Alaska my home where I raised my family. And I have two boys who are attending Diamond High School right now. Um, prior to running for office, I was a high school teacher. I taught at three different districts in the state of Alaska, and I also worked for uh, several governors, Governor Hickel and Governor Murkowski. And then I went back to school to get my teaching certificate. I was first elected to the House and represented uh, my neighborhood in the House for four years, and I've been representing uh, the neighborhood in the Senate now for eight years. And I really focus on listening to my constituents. Uh, uh, I know that my my constituents don't want to pay an income tax, and they also want safe neighborhoods. So I've worked really hard on those two issues, and and also um, listening to them about needs that we have in the district. For example, street lighting and water quality studies um, for drinking water and things like that. So um, I put a high priority on responding to my emails and phone calls, and and. Um, and then during campaign season, I go door to door and I'm listening to my voters there at the door to hear what they are concerned about. So that's the um, summary of what I've been up to. Uh, I always like to ask this of candidates, and I don't recall if I've asked you this. We've talked several times, but I don't remember. What exactly made you jump into politics directly? I mean, was there a, a single aha moment? Was it a cumulative thing? And when exactly did you lose your mind? <laughs> Early on, Michael, I, I actually have been interested in in politics um, really actually ever since I met Don Young when he came to my elementary school when I was very young. And I was very interested in the idea that you represent individuals, you represent people's views in a format where you have to work with others. And so my entire life, I really have been interested in politics. And then I, um, I decided to run because the individual who was serving the district, I felt the, uh, their values weren't aligned with the district as well as they could be. And so I ran and I um, I unseated an incumbent that was Bob Book um, back when I ran for the House. Uh, you know, you, you talking about walking door to door in constituencies. Mm -hmm. I ran for office in, in Fairbanks and I served there on the assembly. And for me, one of the most interesting, I mean, it was, it's exhausting. Obviously, it's the hardest part yeah. of the work, but the walking door to door to me was always the most interesting. Meeting people in their element, talking to them on their own doorstep, getting a lot of, you know, input from people. So as you've gone around to the district, uh, both old and new parts of the district now, yeah. um, I'm interested to hear what people are most concerned about. I mean, PFD inflation crime budgets rank choice voting what are, what are the what are the biggest things that they're talking about uh to you and uh and what are they interested in so i do i do spend time uh walking around and talking to families and individuals at the door i'd have to say that inflation and the cost of living is really uh, on people's minds the price of of gas is really hurting families and 
families are making different choices because of the cost of, you know, filling up their tank with gas. That's that's certainly, I would say, uh, a very important issue that I hear about. And also I'm hearing that people really do not like the ranked choice voting system that we have. And they they're looking forward to having that um, return to the system that we've had in the past. So those are two things. Um, another thing I want to mention is that a lot of homes have video cameras on their doorsteps. So people uh, purchase those because they're, they're, they were concerned about crime. And I was really happy to introduce the repeal for Senate Bill 91, which helped uh, bring Anchorage back to a state of more normalcy that, um, you know, than, than we had with Senate Bill 91. So Yeah, no, I mean, that was super contentious. I know that uh, there was a lot of questions on that. Uh, two things, though, I mean, I guess uh, going back to the ranked choice voting, do you find people who voted for it and didn't understand what it was for? Did they think it was just about eliminating dark money? Did you find people or most of the constituents just voted against it and they dislike it? I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm curious. I found people that I've said, they said, oh, yeah, I voted for it because it gets rid of dark money. And I'm like, uh no, it doesn't. I mean, you know, not really, uh, but it does fundamentally change the voting system and everything. It, it, what, what's the breakdown when you talk to people about ranked choice? Were they never in favor of it or were they just confused or did they vote against it? I mean, what 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 kind of breakdown are you seeing there? So what I'm hearing from people is that they really didn't understand that that is what they were voting for. I think that that's a concern that you have uh, with the citizen initiative where it doesn't go through a real thorough process where like in the legislature, we have hearings, things do take a little longer, but you get a chance to really investigate the impacts that a, a bill or a law will have. And so many people do not understand that that is what they, they voted for. In fact, some people don't even know that the public was the one that actually put this in place. And so they're asking, um, they, they're asking me um, to go back to Juno and, and um, return the system to the system that we had before. And as you know, Michael, I'm, um, I'm actually a target of some of that dark money. I, many of my oh, yeah. voters and constituents have seen um, ads targeted against me and 75% of the funding for that is coming from out of state. And so that's something that is definitely still, still around. Right. Well, I think that whole, I think that whole thing was a misinformation campaign. I mean, I've been, I'm in radio, so I see it. I saw what was going on behind the scenes. I saw the ad copy that was going out and, you know, 90% of the ad copy was all talking about let's eliminate dark money in Alaska, you know, and it wasn't, there was one ad that talked about the ranked choice voting component and you got 26 pages of instructions in the voter pamphlet for the initiative. I don't think that there's probably maybe a handful of Alaskans that read all 26 pages. I stopped at page 17 because I'm like, this is insane. I'm not doing 26 pages of changes to the Alaska law uh, on a voter initiative. Uh, anyway, um, I do want to ask about the PFD. Your district may be different than others, but the PFD is a huge issue for many people. I think it ties back into both the inflation and the cost of living. Uh, are your uh, constituents, are they adamant about – any kind of PFD? Are they okay with a 50-50 split or 75-25 or full statutory? What's your, what are your constituencies saying about the PFD? So as I'm going door to door and also um, in the legislative process, when I heard you know from people who called my office and talked to me, um, I do believe that Alaskans look to the legislature and want us to follow the laws that we that we pass. And so um, I do I do hear that individuals would like the dividend, uh, the statutory dividend. And um, that is why I have been supporting that. And then at the same time, I have voted to change the formula so that it's more sustainable in the long term. So there's a couple options that we're looking at out there. But 
Um, it does come up at the door. Um, it definitely is something that Alaskans pay attention to. And, um, you know, that was the intention of the dividend was to um, have, a, you know, give the public um, a, an ability to protect the, the fund itself by having a dividend. So the dividend itself actually protects the fund because otherwise I believe the legislature would would find a way to pay down to spend down that that fund and that fund is very important it's our future um it's you know it generates a lot of revenue for the state and and we use it to pay for government and so the dividend is a very very important part part of government and it's very important to the people um i believe it's the people's the people's uh money and I and I don't like uh, it being used as a political football. I would rather the the formula generate a, you know the amount and then it goes directly um, to Alaskans and bypasses the legislature. That's what I would like to see happen. We so. have a we have a hashtag around here. It's follow the damn law. That should be the <laughs> hashtag everywhere. A part of the problem, though, one of the points of confliction there is, of course. Uh, we have conflicting laws. We have SB 26, which you uh, uniquely were there and part of and everything else when it went by. And that set up this kind of conflict between a POMV draw and the statutory dividend. Um, and so many people uh, have talked about this. And I know Senator Shower has got a bill and several other people have got a bill now to look at SB 26 and decide if we're not going to change the formula in statute and we're just going to ignore it, then maybe we should talk about revoking and removing SB 26, the POMV formula, because again, these are the laws that are at loggerheads. Um, and this is what one side points to. Well, we got to follow this law. Well, we don't got to follow this law, you know, kind of thing. What are your thoughts on the repeal, potential repeal of SB 26, the POMV law? Well, first of all, I think it's important to remember that uh, when the Senate actually sent that bill over to the House, that we did have the dividend within the POMV. And so that was um, taken out. And so now we have we have the situation that you're describing. Uh, I like the percent of market value approach because I think it it has this um, this line where you're 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 trying to basically spend less than you than you earn. And so it's always growing, growing your your savings um, and the the interest. Um, I do think it's an issue. The dividend is an issue that we've been struggling with for, for a while, and I would like to have it resolved. I'm not certain a repeal of, uh, Senate bill 26 might be the the route. I think that you can actually fold in a a calculation, a percentage within that. And we talked, um, in the Senate, uh, in the legislature about that being a 50, 50 split. And I think that the public has, um, you know, come around and seeing that that might be something that that would work for them and for for the state. Would you support the 50-50 split and no further? Because I know there's been a lot of talk now about 75-25 and some other things. Is the 50-50 split what you would support in a POMV? If if the POMV continues to exist, would you support a POMV and a 50-50 split of the revenues from that? I actually, I do support that. And I actually have supported that. I have voted for that percentage. Division, yes. Good. All right. Uh, Senator Mia Costello is our guest, candidate for Senate District H uh, in the uh, Senate. I got it right. Uh, We're going to continue with her here in just a second. We're bumping up against the uh, break. So we got to go. We'll be back with Mia Costello uh, answering some more questions. And then at the end of the show, we got time. We might take a few phone calls and more. I don't know. We'll see. The Michael Duke Show. It's common sense. It's liberty-based, and it's free thinking. It's radio right here. We continue with Mia Costello right after these messages. Don't go anywhere.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now with Mia Costello. we got a few minutes here. Uh, Mia, I uh, like to change gears a little bit in the commercial break so we don't do repeats for all the people who are listening to the podcast at one and a half times speed. Um, so you mentioned something earlier uh, that I have talked about several times, which, of course, is the the i guess i would say the crisis theater of the pfd uh you've mentioned it i've mentioned it everybody seems to want to talk about it this fact that they bat the pfd around like a like a, a wiffle ball in the in the legislature it sucks up all the oxygen in the room it allows them to use time compression as a weapon near the end of the session because all they've done is talk about the pfd all year and now we've really got to get the budget done so do whatever we say or else we're going to run out in the state's going to lock down and all. I I feel like that there are people in the legislature especially those who are in leadership positions uh I'm talking about chairs and presiding officers and things like that and some of the behind the scenes folks especially the old the old guard who are happy to let the crisis continue or happy to let the PFD continue to become an issue because it makes it very easy to manipulate the, f- the fiscal dealings of the state uh, and gives them the kind of that power. If we had solved the PFD issue, we'd have to face the facts that there's some real problems in the state financially and nobody wants to address that. They'd rather bat that around. Am I wrong, do you think? Well, you know, I don't want to say you're wrong. I, I do think that it all started when when Governor Walker vetoed the dividend. And so up until that point, the dividend was really not something that we we discussed. It wasn't a part of the budget discussions because it's really separate. So the, the dividend is a separate, entirely separate from the budget. It's something that um, is directly tied to the people. It's the people's money. It's the people's dividend. And when Governor Walker uh, vetoed it, that's when we started this annual um, discussion where it's up in the air until the 11th hour. And you're right. Um, if you're co-chair of finance and you, um, you're you in that position, then you set the dividend amount and you send it to the floor. And then that's where you see all the amendments come up and we're voting on the floor. That never happened before, um, before you know Governor Walker vetoed it. And so I'd like to return to the days where it's just simply a formula um, that people know, you know, what it's going to be. And well, we start talking about things like crime and. Right. Well, one of the, the things, one of the things the Walker administration did too, which was kind of subtle for many people was that they changed how the dividend is accounted for, right? It used to be a simple shall transfer. It used to be just a simple pass through. It wasn't counted as income or general fund money or anything else. It was a shell transfer from the earnings reserve to boom, it was done. Uh, But then under the Walker administration, they started accounting for it in their budgets as general fund revenue in and then general fund, they counted it as an expenditure. So they changed the whole flavor of the whole thing. I would like to see it going back. It's one of the things that I'm disappointed that Governor Dunleavy didn't tackle was putting that back the way that it was supposed to be, which was shell transfer. No income, doesn't hit the books in any other way. Here's where it is. Governments can still take their half out of the earnings reserve, but the people money should be transferred. 
And that's something uh, I, I also support. I mean, obviously, I've mentioned it several times. I do think that we've we've looked at some constitutional amendments that that put the dividend in the Constitution anywhere from there shall be a dividend as prescribed by law. And so that, you know, you make that more of a direct a direct line to the people. Um, Bill Wolikowski did did um, bring a case before the state and the, the judges ruled that it is an appropriation for the legislature, which I think compounded the problem. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I like the idea that it's sacrosanct. It's separate. There's a firewall. And, and we shouldn't be we shouldn't be discussing uh, whether or not a program happens and then the dividend will will be affected by it because the dividend is something entirely different. And then government should operate within the means that we've set out, you know, for the for the government programs. Um, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And I'd like to see I'd like to see that discussed further in the legislature. Um, All right. We are coming back here uh, to it here. We're about uh, 20 seconds out. Mia Costello is our guest. We're going to continue our discussions uh, on this and more when we return. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Don't follow. Just share. That's all I'm saying today. Just share. Here we go. Jumping back into it. Let's do it. Okay, we're uh, we're ready to go here. We're jumping back into it here with Mia Costello, who is a GOP candidate for Senate in District H. Uh, she and I are going to uh, talk a little bit more here. I want to finish up our discussions on the PFD, uh, and then we're going to move on to some other issues of budgetary means and and things like that. Uh, we were just talking during the break about uh, you know the POMV and the PFD and everything else. Uh, one of the big talking points, of course, is uh, this discussion of putting the PFD formula in the Constitution. Um, and I know some people have advocated to put it in the Constitution to say, I think, as you just said, uh, you know, PFD shall be done as provided by law, which is kind of more of a broad generic statement. And others have argued that what we need to do is actually enshrine the PFD formula itself, because we've seen exactly the legislature has a disdain for the law. They, I mean, they have the ability to change it, but they don't. So they just ignore the law, which I think is a dangerous precedent, quite honestly. Uh, and I would like to see the actual formula itself enshrined in the law because it's a lot harder to ignore if it's constitutional versus statutory. What's your position on putting it into the PFD, uh, putting the PFD into the Constitution? Um, you know, uh, Michael, so any constitutional amendment will go before the people. I, I definitely am in favor of placing um, in the Constitution that there shall be a dividend as prescribed by law. And um, I think deciding on what that uh, formula is, is going to be a little more challenging, but I would be willing to be, you know, I'm open, I'm open to that. I would listen to my constituents on that issue. But again, any constitutional change would go before the people. And so it's definitely something that would be a discussion with, with Alaskans about whether or not we want to go to that length where we put the actual formula into the constitution itself. The formulas worked for 40 years, and up until the point where Bill Walker modified it, that's when the kind of the rails came off the bus, so to speak, or the wheels, not rails, because buses don't have rails. But you know what I mean? So it's interesting. I, I would like to see a statutory formula 
actually enshrined because then there's no shenanigans. My fear, and and you've been in the legislature long enough to see some of these things happen. My fear is that if you put in a verbiage that it basically says it shall be paid as prescribed by law, well, we can ignore what we want to ignore if it's statutory, right? I mean, I think that's the danger here. It is a concern. And that's, I think, you know, where you, you've seen the trust uh, erode when when the legislature is not following the law. Um, we've had efforts to change the law, to change the formula, to make it more sustainable, like the 50-50 approach, which I, I know many of my colleagues support. Um, and then interestingly enough, the people who who want to have it, you know, change every year, they actually refrain from voting for that, you know, that formula. So your comment about individuals wanting to go down and use the dividend as some, you know, something that they can manipulate and change, I think is, is eroding the trust with the public. And I think we have to gain that trust back. And the way that we do it is we, we um, put in statute that formula and we follow it. And so that's why I have been following that, that statutory formula, because that's, that's the law. And I believe that as lawmakers, we really have a, you know, we have, we are the ones who should be first following the law and setting that example. Uh, Mia Costello is our guest, candidate for Senate District H. Let's move on to the rest of the budget. Obviously, as you said, inflation, cost of living. I mean, I drive a Mini Cooper. It cost me $72 to fill up my Mini Cooper the uh, day before yesterday. Uh, I mean, that's a it's you know, it's crazy. People are worried. Uh, and yet we look at the size and scope of government and uh, many of us think, wow. So in Mia Costello's mind, is the size and scope of government in the state of Alaska too big, too small or just right. Well, I think, you know, I do think government's too big. And I think that we're always looking for efficiencies. Um, the challenge that we have, of course, is that the drivers of government spending are formula driven. And so when we look at reducing, uh, you know, the, the government spend, we have to really drill down into the different programs, which is why I support zero based budgeting, where you build the budget each year rather than uh, have a budget that's essentially what you had from the year before and make minor changes. And so I believe that that process is really important. Um, I've also supported audits of all of the departments. I think those audits are incredibly valuable. Uh, you know, we go down and we look at every single dollar that is spent and whether or not it's it's effective. And also, um, you know, we, we see that there, especially during COVID, you know, we had a lot of um, workers who um, decided not to continue working. And I think that if, you know, if we don't have to fill positions, we shouldn't necessarily fill them just to be filled. So I think there are some things that we can do. And I think that discussion, uh, of course, it starts with the governor introducing the budget on December 15th. And so we then take it and we really scrub it really well. But it is challenging, uh, Michael, to, to find those efficiencies. And we're working very hard. You know, one of the you know, the, the largest spend is with education. And I know there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the results that we're getting in education. And so I think that's something we can we can take a look at is that formula. It's going to it's going to take us rolling up our sleeves. But that formula, uh, I think, does deserve a, a second look. I mean, I think zero based budgeting is a great idea. My other uh, my other alternative suggestion had been that 
we should have a budget. The budget cycle should be should be similar to the PFD, that any budget should be based on a five-year rolling average of what our previous five years of revenue was. Uh, that would give you a closer look at what, not what you want to spend, but what you actually took in, a five-year average of that. So if we take we have one low year, guess what? Your budget goes down to start to, to start at that point. But zero base would be fine as well. I'm all about that. And you mentioned the formulas. The formulas are important because, like you said, those are locked in and they immediately, you know, here here's your free pass to begin with. And then anything else on top of that is gravy. Um, and education obviously folds into that. We see the talking points now. Uh, the new talking point for many campaigns is schools have been underfunded. The educate the base the the formula is broken, and we we've got to fix it because we just haven't been funding our school. Now they never talk about that the base student allocation is the base, and they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars beyond the base student allocation uh, in these past few. I mean, education is the second largest item in the budget. We have continual declining school enrollment. We have continual declining school performance uh, academically. We're in the we're in the bottom 50th. We're like 49 and 50th for math, reading, science, the whole thing. One in four students don't even graduate. And those that do graduate most of them have to take remedial courses like things in math to be able to even get into 100-level college classes. So as an educator, as a former educator, and looking at all this stuff, I mean, we have to open up the formulas, we have to adjust it, and we have to address things like declining enrollment, yet continual ever asks for more money, and the fact that the achievement and the product that they're delivering is, I mean, subpar is an understatement, I think. I mean, definitely <clears throat> there's a lot of concern about the the results not being where we want them to be. And I think what we're also seeing is after COVID, a lot of families are choosing uh, not to place their students in public schools and they're choosing other options, which I'm a huge fan of parents being able to have options for their, their students. And so the, the formula is driven off of the student population. And so when when students, when, when we see a drop in the in the enrollment, um, then the formula uh, will, you know, will result in less dollars going towards that, um, you know, towards public education. I was um, encouraged by a bill that we passed this last session called the Alaska Reads Act. And that was introduced um, as a bipartisan bill. And it, it uses um, basically what we know about teaching reading to students that actually, it actually works. And so we're training teachers to, to, um, teach reading using the methods that are considered, you know, state of the art so that no child will be moved from grade to grade without, you know, being able to read, which is really important. <clears throat> and as far as our math goes and science, I'm a huge fan of vocational and technical education, hands-on learning so that students um, are learning math and science through things like robotics and all of the different programs that we have. Um, as, you, as you go further in your <clears throat> career, we have King Tech High School, which is, I think, an excellent option for students. You know, you can graduate from King Tech with some um, degrees um, and certifications in hand so that when you graduate, you can go right into the job market. And so I think there are some things that we know work, and I think we need to focus on offering education in a method that, you know, gets those results, gives kids... Um, something that they can do in a job environment when they graduate, or if they want to go on to college, they can use that background, you know, in their college career. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess what you're, what you're saying, and I just want to kind of simplify what you just said. I mean, we need to fundamentally change 
the way we're teaching. I mean, the, the direct, because it used to be, and it, it historically has always been, it's always the path to college. But we're finding more and more that what we need is more people in the technical trades. What we're finding is that college students go to college, they get a degree, and 70% of them never get a job in their field of study that they got the pigskin for. And so, you know, I think that needs to fundamentally change, and that all needs to revolve around Again, the idea of funding. Um, I mean, again, we're we're spending ever increasing amounts. You mentioned the homeschooling. Uh, my question is, and I agree, it's the one silver lining out of the pandemic is that people discovered that it wasn't as scary and spooky to homeschool your kids as everybody was making it out to be. Mostly, the school districts and the NEA and everybody else was saying, "Oh, that's only smart people can do that," um, kind of thing, you know. Um, so, my question is, should we be addressing this through? School choice, school vouchers, the backpack funding mechanism where the money follows the student instead of just going straight to the school. I mean, should those be the things that we're talking about to make the school more efficient and to deliver better outcomes? Well, first of all, I, I do think it's important to, to recognize that parents are, are you know, the student's first teachers. Um, our, our families are always um, learning from, you know, from the parents and what we what we do, what we talk about at the at the dinner table. Um, all, you know, including, you know, vacations or things that you do as a family and you're always learning. And so I think it's important to recognize that the family and the parents are really integral in in the learning process. And and I do support uh, parents having choices. I mean, even in the Anchorage School District, you look around and parents have tremendous choice in, in terms of language immersion programs. We have, uh, you know, Russian, German, Spanish, uh, Japanese. Uh, immersion programs, and I think I think these are the types of programs that give parents that choice. In terms of um, homeschooling, um, I have you know I have a lot of respect for the parents who choose homeschooling, and a lot of parents actually do a hybrid model where their their student will go to school, the traditional school for for half the day, and then they're also homeschooling um, in programs you know that they feel are important. And so I think you have a lot of options. The legislature also has passed, and I have supported high schoolers being able to take classes at the university level um, as part of their under, you know, their high school career. Um, I think that's, you know, important for those students who are accelerated and may not be challenged or have classes in the high school building that, you know, that are meeting their needs. And I also support King Tech. I think it's a phenomenal program. Um, it, uh, students are bused there uh, for part of the day or some students attend full time. They learn about all types of things. Um, and, and they learn hands-on skills. And Michael, one thing that people say all the time is, oh, most kids go to college. And the truth is that most students don't go to college. Most students um, are looking for jobs right out of the, you know, right out of high school. And we, as, you know, as the, um, the ones, in, you know, with the responsibility of providing those opportunities for students, we need to recognize that and provide students all kinds of opportunities so that when they graduate from high school, they have an idea of their career path and even better that they have something in hand that they can go and actually get a job. Um, there's, um, as labor and commerce chair, I had a lot of the trades come to the committee and present for the, you know, for the public different options that are available for training, um, you know, you can actually get on the job training and get paid while you're learning, learning a trade. And, and I think that's really wonderful for students. Um, yesterday, we had a presentation from the mining community 
Um, mining jobs are phenomenal jobs. They, they pay really well. Um, there's all kinds of mines in Alaska. And, you know, that's another career opportunity that, that young people can, can pursue. Um, and I guess my original question got lost in there somewhere because I'm still <laughs> asking, I mean, should we be looking at new choice methods? I mean, you've just <laughs> outlined some choice methods, but obviously there's, a, there's an appetite now for alternative to brick and mortar schools. So should we be looking at some kind of voucher system or a choice or backpack funding (laughs) are those things that you would explore and support uh, the exploration of? You know, I, I think that we should always be searching for better ways to deliver education so that we get better results. And so, yes, I am, I am open to all kinds of um, opportunities that parents and students can pursue. So yes, I'm, I'm interested in, in that innovation. Uh, Mia, if you're willing, I'm going to keep you over for one more segment to the top of the hour. Oh. Is that okay? Okay. We got, I got down in the weeds with you there and that's always a mistake on my part because we, we've run up against the clock and I still got more questions. I've got questions. I've got questions. We're going to continue with Mia Costello here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty base, free thinking radio, We're going to be back with more in just a second with Mia Costello, candidate, GOP candidate for Senate District H, as in hello. We're going to be back with more right after this. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Uh, we're back. Um, okay. Mia, what, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I was trying to pull that question out of you and, uh, we, we got far afield there, but I mean, I agree, but I mean, I guess, let me ask you this because you, you said something about, you know, most kids aren't going to college, but isn't that, <laughs> but it, 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 I guess, it, isn't that the, the, uh, the, really the societal message and has been for the last 40. I mean, I remember I'm 53 years old. All right. So my dad, I remember my dad was just like college, 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 college. You got to go to college. You got to do, you know, that's how you're going to be successful. That's how you're going to, you know, make, and that was the thing. Um, and, um, I went to college for one semester and that was it. I was, I was done. I was like, this is to me, I'll be, this is ridiculous. I want to go do something else. Um, but the mantra is, <laughs> Go to school, get a get a degree, get or get a get a diploma, do good, go to college, get a degree, you'll be successful. And what we've seen is, again, statistically, the vast majority of students who graduated from college over the last 40 years have not gotten a job in their field of study. I mean, made 20, 25% of them. And it it's kind of like we've created this education industrial complex where, oh, we've got to go to college. And of course, then we saw the government step in and try and mandate things and and fund things. And then of course, colleges jack their rates up. And it, it's kind of become this whole thing of everybody's got to go to college. And what has happened is all of our trades. We have a huge demand for trades. And it was it over 40 years, it became almost looked down upon to be a welder, uh, a mechanic, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a ground on the ground level engineer or construction guy or something like that. Yet those people make six-figure incomes without the $300,000 college debt load in four years of time waste, not wasted, but you know what I mean. So, I mean, shouldn't there be a fundamental shift to, I mean, in, in Europe, and I'm not saying that their system is perfect, but in Europe, they're already deciding in middle and high school 
where these these kids are already making decisions on where they're going. Am I going to college? Am I going to trade school? And they don't have those kind of same problems. They have high-paying trades, and it's a focus in their high school years instead of this add-on in the final year or whatever that we see in a lot of what we're doing today. Shouldn't there be a fundamental shift there? You know, I I think there should be. And uh, I was actually just about to to mention the same comment you did, which is that in in Europe, in some countries, they actually choose the path uh, fairly early, um, whether or not you're you're going to go into the trades or into some other career. And, um, you know, young people are really savvy. I think within the school, you know, if you if you spend a day in the high school, I think you will perhaps get a different message that there are other options other than college. I think that, um, you know, uh, your comment that society puts pressure on young people to go to college. Um, there are wonderful jobs, uh, you know, great paying jobs in the trades, and you can start doing those um, before you even graduate. You know, I've I've been very excited about opportunities for young people to learn welding. And, you know, it's not just, um, you know, talking about what's going on in, in the schools, but, when you look at the Department of Labor and the list of jobs that they say are going to be needed, we don't have enough jobs, uh, individuals in Alaska to fill those jobs. And so we need to be growing our own. We need to be making sure that we have those um, those trades, um, you know, populated with with young people, um, you know, so that they can have a family here and live here. I mean, one of the things that I hear from people is that they want their children to be able to live in Alaska and and raise families here because they want, you know, they want their grandchildren here and they want to have their families here. So, so it's all, it's all very important. Um, you know, those years in school really can make, you know, make a difference in, in your life and what you choose to do. Yeah, no, I mean, exactly. And again, this, I mean, there's whole new, there's whole new vistas opening up. I mean, you've got these things that they call, um, various names, but I've heard them under the names of like rocket courses, right? Coding rocket courses where over the course of three months or four months, uh, you pay six or $7,000, you get into this course. You were, I, I, there was a gal that I talked to here a couple of years ago. She'd come out of high school. She had some interest in coding. She didn't want to go to college. She did this rocket course. I think it cost her seven, eight, nine thousand bucks. It was four months. She got out of the course and was offered a job making eighty thousand dollars a year. And within the next eighteen months, she was making a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year right out of high school with only the ten thousand dollars that she paid for the course. You know, it wasn't a three hundred thousand dollar debt load. But what a lot of times those are just not talked about. It's this pathway to college always. Hey, doctors need to go. Engineers need to go. Scientists need to go. I guess even lawyers need to go to college, right? But does everybody else need to go unless it's for one specific course? Do they need a graduate degree to make those things happen? And I think that's the bigger question that everybody should be asking right now. And I'd love for you to respond, but I've got 20 seconds. So I don't know unless, unless you unless you just want to say I agree, yes and no, then we're good to go. Uh, I agree. With okay. <laughs> See, there you go. That's what I love. Put everybody in rocking chairs. Everybody agrees with me. All right. Uh, we're getting ready to jump back into it. Uh, Mia Costello is our guest. One final segment. Uh, we'll be <laughs> diving into it. And so make sure that you, yes, share and uh, like the show. Let's get it going on. Final thoughts, The Michael Duke Show.
All right. Uh, one final segment uh, here on the program. Uh, Mia. Oh, I forgot to push the button. Sorry. Mia Costello, our guest. Um, and we're finishing up. Uh, we got a little bit long winded there. I, I started asking more questions than I should have. Uh, so I want to get down here. Uh, final segment. We got about uh, eight, nine minutes. And so, uh, you know, we talked about education. Obviously, the size of scope of government is too big. Mia's agreed with that. You know, we've got this, the first largest item is Medicaid uh, spending, which, of course, is exacerbated by Bill Walker's expansion of Medicaid, where they took every optional program. How would you find efficiencies, you know, in that? I mean, is it should we be looking at eliminating some of the uh, elective programs? Should we be looking at Medicaid fraud? Should we be looking at the the relationship between some doctors building a whole business model on doing nothing but that and to being dependent on government money. What's your take on the Medicaid uh, component of the budget, since it is the largest by far component? Well, of all the things you mentioned, I do think, I mean, I think all of the above. I mean, certainly um, one of the things that we need to do is to make sure that the providers are paid in a timely manner, because otherwise providers are not going to want to take Medicaid uh, patients. And so when you have a system where it's taking very long for the providers to to receive reimbursement, that is something that I believe government has a responsibility uh, to improve. And I and I think that we can do that. Uh, we recently split the Department of Health into two separate health and social services into two departments. And I, I believe the intention there was to make, make things um, more efficient. In terms of the fraud, I definitely believe that uh, we need to have a very robust um, anti-fraud uh, programs throughout the state of Alaska. You know, nobody nobody is uh, wanting fraud because it just drives the cost up and it um, undermines um, the integrity of any program if there's fraud um, within the program. So I do think that fraud is something that that the legislature and the executive branch should should be supporting um, individuals who are in the departments um, looking at that. Um, you know, and, and I do think, Michael, that with with it being, you know, the largest um, budget spend that we have, um, you know, it's important that that it's efficient and that we are doing things that are what's called best practices. So if other states are having, um, you know, a, a results that we actually want to mimic, I think that we should be looking at what are those other states doing that are best practices that we can implement here in Alaska. What about removing, again, some of these? We have 270,000 Alaskans are on the, are, are in some way, shape, or form on some form of Medicaid or medical assist. That's one-third of the state. And, and, of course, a lot of that comes from that expansion of taking every elective option that we can get. Shouldn't we be... Paring that down, especially since now we're seeing that the federal government is going to start reducing their spend on that, and the state is going to be on the hook for that moving forward. Shouldn't we be eliminating some of those, you know, uh, add-on programs, and of course, not allowing elective services to be done, uh, you know, inside that program? Well, one thing to keep in mind is we knew uh, at expansion that the federal government was going to slowly back out and the state would have to take on more responsibility. So I do believe that we have too many um, programs that, you know, that are not um, the base, you know, program. And I think we need to just look and see which ones are, are ones that fit the state of Alaska and ones that we want and then which which ones, um, you know, aren't aren't best suited for 
for the clientele that we have here in Alaska, because when you have um, the Cadillac version, I mean, you're going to be paying, you know, paying for it. And so I think you're right. We need to be um, not necessarily offering every single one of those um, in our program. Fiscal uh, discipline, fiscal planning. I mean, this is what we need and is what we've been lacking in the state for many years. Long term fiscal issues. Uh, Obviously, we seem to be running from one election to the next. We're never looking at a five or a 10 or a 15 or a 20 year plan. The fiscal policy working group took place over the course of last summer and they came forward a very separate group of people with different philosophies. But they came together unanimously with an idea, a group of points, 10 or 12 points that said we need to take a look at all these holistically. We can't just pick one out. This is the plan that we've come up with as a roadmap. And I thought it was surprisingly good. I was very surprised. And then the leadership just put it in a drawer and said, thank you for your service and moved <laughs> along. Um, have you looked at the fiscal policy working group uh, map and plan? And would you support it as a roadmap for moving forward for fiscal stability in the state? So I have looked at the plan. Um, uh, while I, while I am, um, you know, appreciative of the efforts that went in um, from the members who sat on that. There are things in that plan that I simply cannot support and and do not support. And one of those is um, increasing oil taxes. I think that we should make Alaska open for business. We should have an environment where we're not raising taxes on the industry, but instead we're reaping the benefits of an environment that is stable because we have a stable um, tax regime. So I'm not, I'm not in support of that portion of the, of the plan. And I also am um, not in support of an income tax. I I don't believe that hardworking Alaska families should be paying an income tax. Um, We don't have the population base to even generate, uh, you know, significant amount of money from an income tax. And so I, um, you know, my, my opponent actually has introduced an income tax, but I have been fighting, you know, consistently against, against an income tax. I think if you look at the resource base that we have, I think that Alaska is blessed with all kinds of natural resources. And if we manage those well and we have an environment that attracts business, that that is that is the, the direction we should be looking for generating revenue. And when our when our permanent fund grows, the interest of the on that fund grows, too. And so that's why it's important to have a spending cap so that. We are um, not, you know, over overreaching in terms of our spending and so that we can continue to grow our savings. Um, so, I mean, I guess that leaves only one option. If you're not looking for new revenues or even looking to discuss new revenues, then the only option at that point is to cut. But we've seen that there's no political will to cut in the state right now. We couldn't possibly cut. We were told by the Senate finance co-chair couldn't possibly cut. We've cut as much as we were to the bone. No more cuts can't happen. Um, and so the option is, and as you said, we don't have the population base to fully fund government on taxation, uh, even a portion of it. And the fiscal policy working group for sales taxes is what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. using the South Dakota model. But uh, I mean, so quickly, what are the what are the other options? I mean, is it just a cut? Because the cuts only approach, uh, while I support that, uh, historically, we can look back and see it's got a track record. Mm -hmm. It dies on the thing every time because there's no political will to get it done. So what is the solution? Well, the solution is to develop our resources. And if you look at um, oil production, um, that, you know, we're, uh, we instituted some, um, you know, friendly laws that made investment um, and, you know, exploration very, um, you know, achievable. And so we're seeing, we're reaping the benefits of that. And so our oil industry is something that we should be looking to. And 
You know, we're seeing right now, um, you know, our president is going and trying to get OPEC to produce more. And they're saying, well, we should be producing that in our country on our soil in, in Alaska. That's what we have. And so when we do produce oil, we do bring in revenue. And so I think that that is a, um, a bright star in our in our future. And I think that um, mining is also a bright star in our future. And, um, you know, you need minerals in order to have a computer and build cars. And we have those right here in Alaska. So I think that's what we should be focusing on. Well, those are all long-term goals that I agree with. The problem is they're all long-term. It takes 5, 10, 15 years to develop all the things you're talking about. We're in a fiscal crunch now. And so I think we we have to we we need to address these things. I don't have enough time to get deeper into this, but I want to give you the final your final uh, say here. So elevator pitch time, about 60, 90 seconds here. Uh, why should people vote for you versus your opponent? How do they find out more about you? Give us the run. It's go. It's all you. Well, thanks. And there are some fields that are coming online within the next year. So that's really great news, Michael. But thank you for having me on my, on your show um, and your listeners. I know they're <clears throat> very dedicated listeners and I appreciate your time this morning too. Um, I'm Mia Costello. I was born and raised in the district that I'm serving right now. And I'm a conservative candidate for re-election. Um, I have been listening to my constituents. <clears throat> I've been working for safe neighborhoods, um, preventing taxes, and um, putting forward policies that help make Alaska a better place to live, things like Uber and Lyft, um, and helping with our economy. My website is votemia.com. And we're always looking um, to raise more money to help spread our message. I would really love to have your vote on November 8th. And my cell phone is 227-5276. You are welcome to call me directly or text me, and I would love to have a conversation. Folks, Thank you. Folks, out of time for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, we're right up against it. Boom, right up against it there. All right, <laughs> Mia, um, I love to give everybody, you just saw it with David Nelson, I give everybody a final bite of the apple because now we're not up against the clock. Uh, it's just you, me, and... 85 of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube and the internet. So uh, final thoughts, anything I didn't hit on something I didn't touch on or some subject that you wanted to get deeper on real quick. We got about two or three minutes here. Uh, I'll give you the chance to, uh, to, to uh, redirect, so to speak. And, oh, and take well, a thank you very much. Yeah. So my, my race is, um, is going to be a really tough race and it's going to really impact the, the organization and the Senate. And so it's, it's a really uh, important race. And that's why we're working really hard. Um, I do think that something that's important uh, that I hear a lot about is that legislators are accessible um, to the constituents. And I work really hard to make myself accessible. And I, I walk door to door during the campaign and listen to individuals. I give out my cell phone number. Um, I answer my emails and, and phone calls. And, and so I think that's really important because when we go to Juneau and we're not in the neighborhoods walking around and um, talking to individuals, sometimes we can feel like our legislature is far away. But, you know, I want everyone to know that, um, you know, it's really important for me to represent you, that I listen to you. And those are the reasons why I've, you know, I've done the things I've done, like um, introduce the repeal to Senate Bill 91. Um, I've been fighting against an income tax. I've been supporting the statutory dividend while at the same time looking at a sustainable formula. And then I've supported projects that help the district that you ask for um, in the budget, things like uh, lighting, 
uh, for our streets um, and water quality studies for our drinking water and things like that. So um, it's been a real honor uh, to represent everyone in the in the legislature um, in my area. And I'd be really honored to, to return to Juneau um, and continue to fight for you in Juneau. Your final comment brought something to mind. I don't know as you and I have ever talked about the Charter of Changes, um, which is my four cho- my four changes that I think would make Alaska better, uh, move make it move forward into the future. And the four changes, changing the players, obviously, is the first one where we would change out those. You know, you can't have the same group of folks doing the same thing and expect different results. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one, though, you just touched on, and that is uh, changing of the venue. I have advocated that what we need to do is move the legislative session onto the road system, not the Capitol, not the leave the Capitol in Juneau, but put the legislative sessions on the road system. But like you said, because we are so far removed from our legislative process physically that most people can't participate. And, uh, you know, if you put it somewhere on the road system and I don't care where Willow, Fort Greeley, Anchorage, Wasilla, Kenai, K Beach, I don't care. But somewhere on the road system, 85% of Alaskans could climb into a car and within just a few hours be standing in front of their legislators. And I think that's a huge thing. I think we should have that accessible to all Alaskans. And I know they say, well, electronically, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of difference if somebody's patting you on the back or poking you in the chest for something that you're doing as a legislator uh, and they're standing right in front of you. Uh, would you would you agree that getting the legislative session uh, session on the road system would be a good thing? Absolutely, Michael. I think that the legislature being closer um, to the people is always going to be good. And it's, in fact, one of the reasons why I went to Wasilla when the governor called a special session uh, in Wasilla, which was out of Juneau, um, not all of my colleagues went to Wasilla, but I felt like, you know, I took an oath to the Constitution and that's where the session was called. So, yes, I was looking forward to that interaction with the public there. And I think it's a great idea. And I think that you're right that we could keep the the capital there, but we could have the legislature have more hearings um, in communities where people can testify in person and see the process and be a part of the process face to face. Because I think that is a critical part of, you know, of our state uh, government. And and we work really hard to try to keep in touch with our voters. But um, it's always hard when the, the meetings are are down there in Juneau. So I agree. All right. Mia Costello, uh, thank you for coming on board. Again, you can go over to votemia.com and get all your intel and info that you need. And she's given you her phone number uh, if you want to call her and contact her. I mean, this is a pivotal race, whether you agree on every one of Mia's positions or not. Your alternative is... Uh, <clears throat> Worse. I just, I would just put it that way. Uh, we, we need to try as dysfunctional as the Senate majority was last session. Uh, it would be even more dysfunctional if it was controlled by the Democrats or some kind of coalition. So uh, I think it's important to support the candidates, uh, rank the red in that way and get all that done. So Mia, thank you for coming on board. I appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to talking to you more often. I know that that's you're always busy. You got something going on, and but we look forward to talking to you more often. It's uh, I, I hope that we treated you gently enough that you don't feel abused here on the program. Thank you, Michael. All right, Mia Costello, uh, our guest for today. Thank you for uh, being part of the show. We appreciate that. All right, folks. Um, that's it for today. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Um, <clears throat> And uh, we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to be, I'm going to be in Fairbanks, going to be in Fairbanks tomorrow. That's what we're doing. We're going to Fairbanks tomorrow. 
and uh, or today, and we're going to be there tomorrow. We'll be doing the show remotely, so I hope you guys are all ready for that. We look forward to seeing you then, and if you're in the Fairbanks area tomorrow, or uh, this weekend, stop by and see us. We'll be at the Go Winter Expo at the Carlson Center, Saturday and Sunday. And then we'll be back here bright and early on Monday. My God, it's going to be horrible. Got to drive all night, be back here. All right, well, um, enough about my problems. We will see you guys tomorrow for Firearms Friday. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Don't forget to like and share and follow the show page and ring the bell on you. I know I said I wasn't going to do it, but do it. You people, I can't get you to ring the damn bell on YouTube and hit subscribe. Uh, (laughs) All right. I'll see you. Bye. I've done enough damage for today. Shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. Mm.
It's the Michael Duke Show.